Hello and welcome to episode 332 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, Hello. home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. The first time we've done this in person in a while. It's, it feels good to celebrate a big week in Seattle sports. I mean, the list of toasts is incredibly long, and it doesn't even cover everything. Possibly the biggest weekend in Seattle oh, sports. Okay. I, I had that thought earlier. Since 2001. <laughs> 21 long years we have waited to be at this week. A lot less for us, because we've only been paying attention for about a year and a half. Oh, if that. <laughs> The last weekend of 2021. <laughs> That's when you got on board. I weekend. got on board a little bit earlier. You did. That's true. We have been waiting for Lit- 16 long months. Literally months. To get to this point. I mean, I had a moment today as I was listening to the second half of the Mariners doubleheader after watching the entire first game because that one actually mattered to the playoff standards. And it was just a conversation about the leaders in all-time war for the Marlins where they were trying to guess it in the booth. And I was like... Oh, damn, I really do love this sport, and the Mariners just ruined it for me for, like, two solid decades. That's it? I'm back, baby! Uh And who was on the team? No. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going there. Well, you know what else is... I I will say, I got back into baseball, the Cano-Cruz era. You, you You were mildly in on those teams, for sure. Well, you know what else is... No, I don't know if this is back, but it's still fresh hop season. And to celebrate that, the hops are fresh. We have from our friends at Silver City Brewery the Wet Hop Tropic Haze, Tropic Haze IPA, one of my favorites. You want to try that again? <laughs> uh, the Wet Hop Tropic Haze there IPA. We go. I don't know why that Nailed combination it. of vowels was so Nailed tricky. It. It's got to say fresh. Uh, Washington's flagship hazy IPA enters <sighs> another dimension in this extremely limited time offering. <laughs> from vines to brew tanks in under 24 hours, fresh, unkilned wet hops are trucked from eastern Washington immediately after harvesting, yielding a brilliant, fragrant hop experience like no other. Amarillo hops specifically enhance Tropic Haze's namesake tropical character, imparting distinct floral and citrus notes. Be sure to drink it fresh. I can't wait. Which, of course, we will. Uh, thanks to the listener, Grant Wojohn, for making sure that we saw that our friends at the Beer Junction are beginning the Fresh Hop Fest this Wednesday with 20 0 Fresh Hop beers on tap now through October 16th. Unclear if any of those will be from outside the Fresh Hop region oh. of Washington, but it looked like all the, the hops wouldn't be fresh Washington if they were. To tell. It's not the Fresh Hop region of Washington. Yes, it is. Okay, fine, fine. All right, fine. I'll accept. It is the Fresh Hop region of the entire world, though. We so still we gotta reach that. out to someone in the hop world to try to actually market it. This it's way. been confirmed. Okay, I, you're talking a marketing piece. Yeah. It's already been confirmed that we were living in the fresh hop region of the universe. But this the beer, hops are the freshest. This beer was purchased at the Beer Junction. There, there from, you go. From our good friends at the Beer Junction, it would not be fresh hop season without 20 fresh hops from. The Fresh Hop region of Washington. All right. We start, obviously, with a toast to the Mariners. We did the podcast on Monday with third Pelton brother Mike Barwin getting hype about the Mariners making the playoffs for the first time in 21 years. But we didn't toast to it on that pod. And also, 
We haven't toasted to them securing the second wild card, locking in there that matchup against the hated Toronto Blue Jays. Ooh, I hate those Blue Jays. In the wild card round in Toronto. We'll with hear about Tuesdays, them later. We will. With Tuesdays winning game one of their doubleheader against Detroit. With Luis Torrens on the mound in the 10th inning, it combined two of my favorite things, which are extra inning baseball and position players <laughs> pitching. Uh, I've never, I, it was the first case where I was like, are we really sure we want a position player pitching? Because it was the 10th inning of a game that it was useful for them to win so that they could render the second game and then game 162 of the season on Wednesday meaningless. But lo and behold, Torrens came through with a solid inning was hit, touching the high 70s with his stuff. He was up in the strike zone a lot. Higher fly ball rate, I think, than you'd <laughs> like in your high leverage inning reliever. But <laughs> You're going to want him to miss low. But <laughs> but he's going to have to work on his slider if I know anything about the stuff of modern relievers. But still gets the W as the Mariners come up Huge. with two runs in the bottom of the 10th. It's honestly a little surprising to me that baseball position players aren't better pitchers. I mean, obviously you can throw hard, but there's a difference between being able to throw hard and being able to pitch. Like, there's a reason that pitchers are so bad at hitting generally now, with one extremely notable exception, <laughs> who is the caveat to all of these stats about position players getting wins, uh, which was, it was the first position player to get a win since 2014, first in Mariners history. And then someone had the stat, it was like the first time in a doubleheader that a, a player had gotten the... Not the first position player to get a win at all, right? In Mariners history, oh, in, in since 2014 was the last time it happened on any major league baseball. Really? Team. To get a win? No position player has? I guess they're only pitching yeah, you in like, in when you're up. down by a million runs yeah. or up by a million runs and somebody else would be in line. Wow, look at Lloris Torrens. And someone had this out. I, I got to go dig this up on the timeline again. The last time that someone had gotten the win in the first game of the doubleheader and started the second game of the doubleheader, <laughs> it was like 1940. <laughs> Truly incredible stuff from our guy, Luis Torrens. Luis Torrens has had maybe the most incredible baseball season of all time. Have we, we've talked, I'm sure, at some point on this pod about the commemorative baseball cards that were issued about the Mariners' 95 season. I forget who the manufacturer... I, could probably I thought it was Mothers. It no, Mothers does the, did the cards mid-season, but this was a different thing. These okay. were postseason cards, and they had everybody on the roster, even down to like Greg Perkle, and it, it oh, talked Perkle about later. Archimedes pose, Archimedes pose out, uh -huh. and it talked about their contributions, you know, in the clubhouse and from the bench, <laughs> which was terrific. But like Louis, if they did a version of that for the 2022 Mariners, the Louis Torrens card would be amazing to have. That's my takeaway. Uh. We're also pouring some out, though, mm. for Sam and Ofrio Hagerty. After a groin injury suffered successfully stealing second base of in the ninth inning stealing. of Monday's game against the Tigers, sending him to the 10-day injured list, manager Scott Service said Tuesday that Hagerty won't be available at least unless the Mariners reach the ALCS. The Mariners, sadly, because of the fact that Hagerty was not out there to complete the chaos ball uh. and score the tie and run, Finished 35-14, and 14, and Hagerty starts a 7-14 winning percentage just behind their 17-16 mark in the record-setting 2001 season. I'm taking this as a positive. No, <laughs> so, not as a positive for—I mean, honestly, the stuff that Sam Hagerty does would be very helpful in a playoff series. So helpful, especially when Dylan Moore subsequently got hit in the hand or the wrist by a pitch in oh, the second game of the doubleheader. He stayed in at last I saw, but this game continues— uh, going on without any impact on the Mariners' playoff standings as we podcast. 
I don't want to say it's devastating because he is. I understand where Sam Haggerty sits, but Ichiro's 2001 team. Did they go to the World Series? They did not. They had the best, uh, what was it? The best, not the best win percentage, the most wins of all time. Yes. And they did not go to the World Series. So I'm taking this as a good sign long term to not have eclipsed that mark. That you don't want to have too many, too many wins in the regular season? Look, had they eclipsed that win percentage, I think that would have been a bad sign for the Mariners in the playoffs. So finishing just right behind there, this is like the Braves being in the wild card last year. I think it's a good thing. That is some ga- a galaxy brain tank. Baseball is a superstitious ever. sport. I mean, I, I can't dispute that, I suppose. And this is an important distinction. It looks like maybe Pacific. Yeah, Pacific did the 1995 Mariners set, as it turns out. The University of the. <laughs> yeah, Pete Carroll did it back when he was there playing safety many, 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 many years prior to the many, many, many years prior to that. Uh well, next up, this is a big one as well. Congrats to O.L. Reign on securing the third NWSL Shield in franchise history there it is. with Saturday's 3-0 win over the Orlando Pride. All three Shields have come with Laura Harvey as head coach, the first two in 2014 and 2015 during her first time in Seattle, and now in her first full season back in that role. Huge. Uh, Sue Bird was there, did, did the scarves up before the game. Great moment for all rain. We'll talk more about what to expect from them in the playoffs in our rundown. But some streaks came to an end in a positive way this past weekend, and another streak came to an unfortunate ending this past weekend. The Sounders playoff streak falling with Sunday's one nothing loss at Sporting KC, eliminating them from MLS playoff contention, which they had released had reached all thirteen seasons in the franchise's MLS history. Which means we have still never seen the Mariners and Sounders FC in the playoffs the same year. Hard to believe. Is it hard to believe the Mariners haven't made the playoffs in 21 years? <laughs> I guess what about that is hard to believe for good, you? Good point. Good point. Remarkable coincidence. Uh, then congrats to Brianna Stewart and Jewel Lloyd for helping lead the USA to gold in the FIBA Women's World Cup with an 83-61 win over China in Saturday's final. Stewart was named to the all-tournament first team with Asia Wilson winning MVP honors uh, for the U.S. And this was maybe even the bigger one Saturday, our Friday night, which a lot was happening because you had the Bearers clinching, UW at UCLA, I was in an NBA preseason game in Seattle, and Lauren Jackson in what she announced beforehand, would be her final game for the Australian national team, the Opals. Australia claims bronze by routing Canada 95-65. The game was even early in the third quarter. Then Coach Sandy Brundello, Lauren Jackson's former teammate with the Storm, calls her off the bench, and Lauren goes, goes bonkers, flashes back, and scores 30 points, the second time a player has gone for 30-plus in a Women's World Cup medal game, the other being by Lauren Jackson in 2002, 20 years apart. That is some Tom Brady shit right there. That's some Seattle Mariners shit right there. (laughs) It it, it is, yes. David Locke texted me, Lauren Jackson scored 30, the Mariners made the playoffs. What year is it? (laughs) Uh, Jackson also passed Diana Taurasi to become the all-time leading scorer in World Cup play. There we go. Uh, the Storm's Stephanie Talbot from Australia was named to the all-tournament first team along with Stewie. And uh, Ezzie Magmagore tied with Stewie for fourth at 1.4 blocks per game in You're the competition. You're telling me Lauren Jackson 
couldn't play in the WNBA next year. Oh, no. It's not that she couldn't play She's in the WNBA next year. She's dropping 30. She she proved, like, we didn't know the level of competition that she was playing in the NBL one. Like, it, you no, know, she didn't play a lot in their semifinal game. So, you know, is still not the most valuable player on the Australian team. But that performance showed she certainly could play in the WNBA. But she also talked afterwards about, like, how long she was away from her kids and how difficult that was. So, again, does not sound like Lauren is going to we'll come see. to Seattle. We'll see. They can move. The they can move to Seattle. The visa situation will be fine. <laughs> Uh, and lastly, on the Women's World Cup front, Gabby Williams named to the all-tournament second team after averaging 15.8 points per game, despite France being knocked out by eventual runner-up China in the quarterfinals. This is, it's like Pujols-like. Like, it's kind of wild. Yes, that's what, a great comparison. For what it. has been happening in the year 2022. Like, the second half that Albert Pujols has is similar to the second half that Lauren Jackson had in this game. And you're like, you're really retiring right now? Right. Well, Lauren is not retiring. That was just her last game for the national team. She is playing in the WNBL this season. Move move to Seattle. Only play the home games. <laughs> I'm fine with it. Are you not fine with it? I mean, I'm fine with it. I don't know that it matters whether, whether I'm fine with it. You don't think the Storm front office would be okay? Think about the tickets they could sell if Lauren Jackson I mean, came back. it's true. Sue's leaving and Lauren's coming back? Come on. Yeah, especially if, if Stewie isn't in here next season, then... Would really make but what, sense. what, Stewie goes off, goes to the bench and you have Lauren Jackson there? Imagine those Twin Towers. Oh, I'm just saying there would be more need to sell tickets if, if Stewie wasn't around. So, yes. No, you, have you, are there whispers? Uh, are there WNBA whispers? There are WNBA whispers. How valid those are aren't, you know, no one really knows but Stewie and, and her wife Marta, presumably. And I maybe like, they even don't know yet what they're going to do. So I feel like I'm the only one who wants the w, the WNBA transaction machine to get moving. Oh, you're not the only one. Okay. But you're you're on the leading edge. I have told my editor how much you really support the trade grades. What did, what did your editor say? Uh, I don't know if there was a specific response If you start grading transactions, people will care more about those transactions. 100%. It's going to happen this offseason. We just need the right trade to get us kick-started. And I, really? I you're, doing, you're calling it right here oh, on yeah. the Pelton cast? I think I know which trade. WNBA trade grades are coming? I think I know who's going to ESPN.com? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Full-page ad. <laughs> you're welcome. We'll see on that. You had, you had not even considered... Doing a trade grade for the WNBA. I hadn't even considered it. You never once conceived the idea. Yes. I didn't even know that it could be done. I invented the trade grade. (laughs) I can't can't believe that's actually coming. I'm telling you, if you do that shit, you will single-handedly increase interest in the WNBA offseason. I I don't want to say uh, I Sorry. will single-handedly. I will single-handedly. <laughs> okay, that's fair, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm, like, pretty hyped for these. St- I don't even know if I have ESPN+. Plus, But <laughs> I just I just give you the genius ideas. Wow. There's going to be a WNBA Woj soon. It's coming. I, I agree with that assessment. It's Our- just, like, the, the market is there waiting. I, I, We're the I, only people talking about this, right? I don't think we're the only people we'll talk about this. We're definitely the only Seattle sports podcast talking about it. <laughs> Wet hops and WNBA trade grades. The WNBA offseason. What was the tweet from last week? We talk about how bad he truly is when we're not in LA. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you could talk about it from LA too. 
<sighs> that that asked the question was Ichiro good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the year 2022 <sighs> well should we talk for a moment about the NBA coming to Seattle for a weekend uh Friday night the Clippers played an Israeli team Maccabi run run ah I don't know why. This is like really maybe the, the best beer I've ever had in my entire life. Oh, I mean, Tropicase is already good. And then you put wet hops on it. It's like it's like a meal almost. I had it. I took a sip and I was just like, what have I been eating? So there this was, is a huge recommend. Big time recommend. For sure. So Friday was pretty badly overshadowed by the whole clinching the playoffs for the first time in 21 years thing, as well as the UWCLA thing. And uh, <sighs> it, it wasn't necessarily a big crowd. There were a lot of kids in attendance for that one, which was fun. Uh, the, at the end, it was because I've been around a lot of kids, and fun has never once been the way I would describe that experience. I wasn't trying to parent any of these <laughs> children. I would have been too. I just know it. I would have been trying to coach the players and parent them. So a Let's Go Mariners chant broke out in the last two there minutes of this game. You know, kind of testament to the overshadowing. Uh, but Monday, Portland Trailblazers come to town to play the Clippers, and that was a different story. Sold out. Awesome atmosphere, Sonic's chance from before the opening tip, so many people wearing their green and gold, so many legends in attendance, you know, all of the big names that you would have wanted to be there. Kemp and Peyton, obviously, Peyton there to watch his son, Gary Peyton II, who's sadly unable to play due to off-season abdominal surgery. He's expected back for the start of the regular season, but not the play now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Detlef Schrempf, Sam Perkins, all that were out there for at a timeout for the 95-96 team. George Carl, Lenny Wilkins, massive ovations for the both of them. Uh, so many Seattle sports stars and figures. You had Walter Jones was in the building, obviously Jamal Crawford. Gino. <laughs> was he? No, I don't know. No. This is when I think Seattle sports stars, I think Gino. I mean, there could be random people in the crowd, like the Mariners in Hawk's Nest. Uh, I did see on Instagram... Uh, one of our one of our followers posted that the three tight ends were all in the rows in front of them. Noah Fant, Colby Parkinson, and Will Disley. Were they but together? They were, no, they were all different. All separate? I don't know if they were all separate. Maybe a couple of them were together. Not a close uh, tight end row. <laughs> yeah, apparently not. Who knows what tickets they can get? Uh, but they didn't show them on the screen. I would have never had any idea they were there. Every so maybe Gino, Gino was there. who plays sports in the city of Seattle has risen to the level of being shown on the screen. I mean, I agree. Gino... Gino Suarez was a little busy on Monday. He, yes. he couldn't make it. Uh, Jamal Crawford great, got a great hand. Obviously, Spencer Haas, Walter Jones, Marcus Trufant, Macklemore was there. There we go. So, yeah. Uh, Macklemore said he was copying the Enum Claw record on Instagram. Oh, there you go. We're done. Yeah, wow. we're, we're good. Nice work. Close up shop. So, you know, I think it was interesting to contrast this with obviously the last event at Key Arena before they started the renovations that became Climate Pledge Arena was the Warriors hosting a preseason game, Kevin Durant's return. And I feel like that one was so much about kind of saying goodbye to Key Arena and the Sonics element of it and looking back. And even though, you know, these former stars and coaches were such a big part of Monday night, different vibe because it's not about looking back in the same way and it's so much more about looking ahead to the fact that now we have an NBA caliber arena it was interesting that was the first time that I'd really seen kind of some of the facilities when in the Blazers locker room which would presumably be visiting NBA locker room and it's noticeably larger than the visiting locker room at Moda Center really? which is interesting and you know I haven't kind of downloaded with people afterwards but I don't think anything happened to dissuade the idea that 
we could be doing this 41 nights a year at Climate Pledge Arena. Steve Ballmer gave a speech. Steve Ballmer gave a speech. He gave basically his developer's speech, except about how much he loves Seattle basketball and what a great basketball city this is, it is. As a person who is one of the 30 voting powers that exist. Correct. And who presumably has a significant amount of sway. At least some amount of sway, for sure. There are a lot of very, very rich guys getting into basketball right now. And do you think that affects how they're approaching the future of the league? Is it all of a sudden we need to maximize every dollar? Or are we looking at people who are so rich that maybe these dollars don't matter as much to them, right? There, there's. Uh, not- I, I don't know that there's that element. I mean, I, th- I do think there's still the issue out there of, I think there are some owners who are like, why would we expand when we have you know teams that are low revenue that we could move to higher revenue locations like Seattle? But it, For you those can't just owners, wait forever, basically. Hurry the fuck up. Like, if that's actually what the plan is, get it done. Let me ask you this I question, don't though. Think that's, I don't think that's the holdup with expansion, though. I, I keep telling you. I keep I, Simmons, every time he talks, who's a person who's very connected in basketball, he talks about Vegas and Seattle as if it's done. It's not like a like if that were to happen. It's a the NBA did this because that that's how he talks about Seattle and Vegas. And you have consistently said it's not done. Is there I mean it's not me, done until it's done. I don't I mean it just can't be done. It can be done before it's announced. I don't think that the kind of discussions that would need to happen for it to be done have happened yet. And I th- I think it is much further along than you're talking about. This was a this was not a oh let's see. This was a we're building hype before a return type of game. I mean the thing that I did, I did remind people because you know there were people on Twitter who expressed their skepticism of, of oh the NBA is getting our hopes up again. The NBA doesn't plan the preseason schedule. Individual teams do. The NBA, I guess, would have the power to say you can't play a game in Seattle, but that would be kind of weird for them to do. Uh, they play games in lots of non-NBA cities. They've played many games in Vancouver over the years, and no one is talking enough that Vancouver is certain, certain to get the next should. team. They oh, should. Bring the Grizz back home. Absolutely should. There Bring was, the Grizz back a home. new documentary out about why the Grizzlies moved. Really? That had its premiere on Saturday, funny enough. What's that on? I mean, it's not on anything yet. Like It was just like its theatrical premiere. I'm ready. Oh, for sure, I'm very excited to watch it. At the it. time, I, it, Vancouver meant nothing to me. Vancouver may as well have been Milwaukee, <laughs> like in the 90s. You want to talk about Pelton Cast geography right now? Oh, Imagine that no. when I was fucking 10. But oh, like, no. <laughs> except Baby <laughs> Fantasy Genius. a little later than Baby that. Baby Fantasy Genius, who is e- extraordinary at geography, probably better than you are uh, as a 10-year-old. For me, But then I was probably better as a 10-year-old than I was, than I am now. Vancouver, BC could have been anywhere on the face of the earth, right? I mean, I understood that concept because, as you know, Expo 86 <laughs> was so close, so near and dear to my heart. <laughs> and those memories, uh, that's the grisly truth is the name of that documentary. The grisly truth. I love it. People should be talking about this. We should be talking about the Grizz more. But now, over time, similar to the Montreal Expos, I've come to love the team that's moved. <laughs> and we need to bring them back home. Absolutely. No offense to Memphis. Memphis seems great. Yeah. Yeah. Just shouldn't have been at Vancouver's expense. So, I mean, the NBA isn't themselves doing this. I I think the significance of this preseason game more is, like I said, 
proof of concept for Climate Pledge Arena as an NBA host. I just don't. I don't think that was necessary. I, I don't, don't know that it was proof of necessary, concept. but I think it's, it's not useful. like we've talked about this before. It's not like people looked around and were just like, "Well, we have to see basketball here to understand what." Ba-. They know what an NBA arena looks like but without they, seeing an NBA but game. For in. the actual NBA teams to have experienced the facilities, I think was an important thing. Both of those teams are on board with the city of Seattle. <laughs> yes, I think those are two votes that we could count on. So you bring me the fucking, I don't even know. But if they're going out and telling other people about their experience, that's my point. And I think, again, everything everything went as you would have wanted it to go from the city of Seattle standpoint. What is the timeline? Stop edging me, Seattle. What is the timeline? I think it's realistic to hope for expansion an expansion team to begin in 2026 or 2027. Announced in? A couple, I mean, you would 24? put two years before that. We're getting there. We are getting there. We are getting there. Not fast enough. We're getting there. Okay. I'm ready. Any anything else from from that experience? Was that I saw John Hollinger is in the house. Yeah, John. I mean, John Hollinger uh, spends some of his off season here, so not not surprising. But uh, it was good to see him. He's from Portland. He had lived in Portland for a long period of time. But was there any other national level NBA? Uh, Mark Spears from Anscape came up here for Friday's game as well. So, okay, yeah. Then he had to get get going because he was at the uh, the Scoot Victor Wemanyama showdown. Where was that at? That's in Henderson, Las Vegas, on Tuesday night. Coming up again on Thursday, also on ESPN two. Wemby had thirty seven points, seven threes, five blocks. Scoot Henderson, I believe, had twenty nine points. Wow! You're gonna want to tune in on Thursday. Th- this is what I'm talking about. This is why we need a basketball team to care about these players. Because I'm like, wow, well, it'll be really exciting to see whatever random team Wemby plays on. But all these teams in the league, except for a small handful. Could be like maybe us, right? Yes. And that's what's so exciting about it. We have to get a basketball team back. I don't even remember what it's like cheering for a basketball team. I just recently relearned how to cheer for a baseball team. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, should we talk about that baseball team? Because I think it's time for your favorite segment. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. Oh boy, have I been waiting for this Blue Jays Mariners playoff matchup for a long, long time. Because under the radar, The Blue Jays are the Mariners' biggest rival, and I am sick, sick of these people down south in sunny Toronto claiming that they're the North. Well, guess what, you 43.65 latitude motherfuckers? Winter is coming, and us Northerners from here in Seattle are taking everything this time. This series is not just about a spot in the ALDS, no! It's for the rightful claim to the North, and we're taking everything you've got. You think Drake was sitting on the CN Tower on the Views cover? Uh Uh-uh. That was the Space Needle he was perched on. And guess what? The 6? That now refers to the 206, as it rightfully should. The Big Maple, remember him? He's now the Big Pine, and all of his best seasons came up North, buddy. 
we're taking nationalized healthcare, just like we rightfully reclaimed Robbie Ray and Seattle's team. The Clips swiped Kawhi Leonard after one year, but we're taking his championship. He won away down there with him. Sorry about that. You can keep Raptor legend Doug Christie, Canadian rapper Snow, and his hit single Informer, the strange allegiance to the Queen, and the Arcade Fire. In fact, their album, The Suburbs, it's now written about Mississauga. And I am so upset. You know what else? We're taking your memories, too. You think that was Joe Carter jumping up and down in 1993? No way! That was Ken Griffey Jr., and he walked off a World Series smooth as hell. The only way he knows how to do things. The Grey Cup? That happened when the Seahawks demolished your bills from down there in the South, 50-17. to 17. We're taking the name the Rough Riders, too. You have zero Rough Riders now, Canada. And after this weekend... Neil Young, Jim Carrey, Mike Myers, Will Arnett, and The Weeknd, ladies and gentlemen, they all grew up way up here in the United States of America. The only thing that makes me feel better about this matchup is the knowledge that we cannot lose because who's the North? We, the North. <laughs> you have really, really outdone yourself with this one. The level of research to find that Mississauga is a suburb of Toronto, I'm impressed by. I think this is the first time that latitude has ever been used as an insult, along with, <laughs> was it motherfucker? Oh, afterwards? yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Punctuated. Latitude punctuated by a motherfucker. It just truly, truly incredible stuff. I The, the six, I have always thought, should refer to the 206. I it agree does. on that one. It does now. There's yeah. no thought. It, that's just what it means. <laughs> it's because I felt this deeply. I've been on the streets of Seattle, Washington, and I've seen Blue Jays fans walking around among us, coming, I don't want to say down. <laughs> even, even <laughs> across, though, across. <laughs> across. Even though they're from Vancouver. <laughs> they're probably coming up from Toronto. Coming up from Toronto, traveling way up north to Seattle, Washington, or even way up north to Portland, Oregon, after all, because they're the north too. Correct. It was like when we saw Nebraska fans walking the streets. <laughs> I do not like to see it. Remember that just two minutes ago on this podcast, he expressed his great love and fondness for the city of Vancouver. But uh, Did I? You did. You did. Let the, the transcript shows it. Oh, the Grizz? Yeah. Yeah. I just want them there so we can beat them badly every single time we play them. <laughs> Bring back the I-5 rivalry, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, so it's the Mariners and the Blue Jays, uh, who the Mariners have gone through this difficulty of having to have a doubleheader on the penultimate day of the season. Blue Jays are going to feel that pain on Wednesday. Their game in Baltimore on Tuesday was rained out, so now they've got a doubleheader scheduled on Wednesday, which just generally doesn't seem like a great way to finish your season. It's like if they made basketball teams play a back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back right before the playoffs started, but you know, it is what it is, I guess. I mean, you play every day in baseball. It is, yes. That's part of the challenge and part of the test. But when you play two games in a day, that, that gets a lot worse. Uh, the Mariners took the season series 5-2 to two sweeping 
Yeah, they the did. Blue Jays at home in July, including a walk-off three-run homer by Eugenio Suarez. Remember that, Canadians? That I probably remember. sent them home. The North remembers. I, I thought this was interesting. So, is the Mariners were struggling to beat the Tigers in the first game Tuesday after losing on Monday. I always thought to myself, are they actually as bad against bad teams as it seems? And the good news is it turns out that's true. I don't know if this has any predictive power for the postseason. But if you look at it this season, the Mariners went 38-33 and against above 500 teams, the fifth best record in MLB behind the Dodgers, Astros, Mets, and Yankees. It's a pretty good company there. Then you flip it to below 500 If you took teams. out the Astros, too, the record would probably be even better. <laughs> exactly. Yes, the Astros <laughs> it's literally the only out. above 500 team that they can't beat. One of the things I did is I also graphed like the Mariners' record by the opponent record. And at first, when you do a best fit line, it comes out just straight. Like It doesn't matter how good the team is at all. And then if you wait by how many games they played against the opponent, the Astros pull it down so much that all of a sudden it becomes the kind of relationship you'd expect. Uh, but the Mariners were 50 and 39 against below 500 teams, 18th in MLB. They're actually 51 and 31 because they 39 because they got the second game of this doubleheader. But uh, the rest of those stats don't include today's games. Toronto, intriguingly, something of the inverse. They were the fourth best against below 500 teams, but 44 and 48 against above 500 teams. Mariners in two. <laughs> I just the sentence two in two is such an incredible a, sweep. Yeah. Uh, it's like the WNBA playoff first round. It's the only time we're used to it. Uh, so the Blue Jays, strong offense, number four in offense at 4.8 runs per game. But they allow 4.2 runs per game last among all playoff wow. teams, 14th overall in the league. They do have some strong starters. Alex Manoa has been one of MLB's best pitchers and all-star this season, 2.24 ERA. His fielding independent pitching number is not quite that good. Actually, by those, Kevin Gossman, their number two starter, has better indicators despite his 12 and 10 starter, 12 and 10 record in 3.35 ERA. And presumably, we'll see Ross Stripling is the third starter in this series. He's established himself in that role after beginning the year in a swing role as their fifth starter with his best season of his career. Uh, closer Jordan Romano, another one of DJ's six All Stars, which is a lot. It's a balanced lineup for Toronto with four hitting all-stars, five players with at least 24 home runs, led in war by longtime Astro George Springer, who's got an 814 ops at a premium defensive position. Still pronounced OPS? No. <laughs> Led Guerrero Jr. leads the way with 32 home runs, although he would, doesn't walk the enough only for Tristan's case. The Blue Jays. <laughs> with his 337 on base percentage. Uh, shortstop Bo Bichette, the other power-hitting second-generation star in the Blue Jays, with Kavan Biggio in a utility role, not quite as important as those other two second-generation stars. Uh, Matt Chapman, pretty much their Gino, with a you know low batting average, plenty of walks, 27 home runs this season. Teoscar Hernandez, their fifth big power hitter, while catcher Alejandro Kirk was the their fourth all-star, less power but good all-around skills as a hitter. So that's what I've learned in the Blue Jay- about the Blue Jays in it's, my half-hour No, it's a terrifying research. lineup. I'll, oh, yeah. I'll accept that. I mean, at this point, pretty much every team in the playoff is, playoffs are. Like, you approach it, and there's no team where you're like, well, they don't have good hitters or whatever. But the Blue Jays' but, offense— But there definitely is a stronger correlation between your, your runs allowed and making the playoffs than your runs scored. But the Blue Jays' offense is one of the most stacked in the league, and it's really going to come down to— what do these Mariners starters do in these games? 
I mean, this is why at the trade deadline, the Mariners went out and traded for the pitcher who's most likely going to be pitching game one of the series. So I believe it was Manny Act just said on KJR today that uh, Castillo will pitch game one. Robbie Ray will pitch game two, and they are not sure yet who will pitch game three. We'll need to figure it out. But, <laughs> oh. but having Luis Castillo there, it makes you feel a lot more confident. When you have a former Cy Young winner pitching game two, who's had still a very good season, and you have Castillo... In game one, there have been moments where Castillo wasn't necessarily amazing, and he's also been so shut down in other moments. And we're counting on one game. The defense is solid. Everybody is coming back. The offense looks like it's going to be healthy. As it is, given the situation, I feel like this is probably a 50-50 matchup. I tend to think so, too. I mean, these teams are you know pretty similar from an advanced perspective. Maybe a slight edge to the Blue Jays. We also know that home field, although it would have been nice to have, not that big of a deal in baseball. So, yeah, I mean, I I get it. We just haven't seen this in such a long period of time. It's going to be fascinating. The most important thing to me is that we just get to experience these two and or three playoff games and feel what it feels like again. Because I feel like in, in 1997, maybe I, I don't... I was fucking 12. Like, I just don't remember that well. I didn't care in 2001. But to be in this moment, in a time when we've been through it, we've been through the entire season, really the last I remember that is 1995. And just like the riding on every single game, so extreme, every single pitch, right? How baseball can be, it is the most stressful sport Right, and having these nine innings to be able to pay attention to them and experience them, I'm just excited about having that feeling and that emotion again. Because we've been through this entire season, we've we've been through the comebacks, the extra inning games against the Yankees to get to this point. So we just have to appreciate every single second of it and everything that this team has achieved and then ending the streak and feel confident going in that they're going to be able to push even farther. I also think that it's just been awesome to see the way that the city as a whole has rallied behind the Mariners because we haven't seen that in a long period of time either. And I think one thing we've seen this year is even though some of the other teams have gotten overshadowed a little bit, like the city now is big enough and has enough attention to go around for a lot of teams. It's not like 2001 when it seemed like the love for the Mariners kind of excluded and pushed everyone else to the sideline. There was still enough, you know, uh, attention to go around for there to be a sellout crowd in an NBA preseason game. People are still super excited about the Seahawks offense. Not the Sounders. The Sounders are... The Sounders, yes. They've gotten over <laughs> Their season ended in, like, July. <laughs> the Storm had the attention that they got in Super's final season. We'll talk about the O.L. Reign in a second. Like, there's a lot of attention to go around. People are still excited about the Kraken. Some people are even, yeah, deluding themselves into thinking they like hockey. Oh, no. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just so ready for it. And that's why, more than anything, I mean... I just hope they win these games, right? Obviously. But like to be able to experience an ALDS and have that longer series and just how you keep going. And right? we need to get to game four so that we can go. Well, oh yeah, the game four is not a given. I didn't even think about not, that. No. Fuck. Okay. That's that's why I prioritized it. I assumed that everyone else was going to be going for game one of the ALDS when those tickets went on sale. I mean, I think they were. We got the tickets relatively easily. But just like the buying tickets aspect of it, like to be able to take baby fantasy genius to a playoff baseball game to do the same shit we got to do when we were 10 years old, right? It would be a pretty exciting thing to do here 30, 26 years later or whatever, right? 20, 27. 20, how old am I? 
<laughs> 27 you years later. You just do the math from 95 to 2002. You don't need to go by your age. <laughs> but it, it, it's sort of like, I remember when the Seahawks were in 2013, when it was like, they're the best team. They have the number one overall seed. They're This is not the same, right? But they're probably going to go to the to the Super Bowl. Like we, I would never think that in a million years. And the only thing I thought about that playoffs was, at this, it was a wild thought, was I hope that I don't die before the Seahawks <laughs> win the Super Bowl. I mean, I've had thoughts like that before, for and sure. I remember being up late one night or whatever, early one morning, like not being able to sleep, like laying on the couch and just being like, I think I was like sweating and upset. And I was like, I cannot die before the Seahawks win the Super Bowl. <laughs> and this, the being able to take it week by week or whatever. So like if they can just get through this weekend and get to the ALDS, it's, that's what it's about. It's just like, we want to keep watching this team for a little bit longer. We're not done, right? We want to see this team for a little bit longer. Just like win these fucking games so that we can just be on to another one. Who knows, right? Do I like their odds against the Astros and the ALDS? <laughs> Probably not. But... Just give us a chance. Give us a chance to do it, and let's see what happens. So this weekend, I'm, I'm, and even at the very least, like get to Sunday, you know, oh, yeah. football. Get to Sunday. Yeah, that's all it is. Just like give us more games this season because the, you've been playing 162 games, and to have it end in a weekend, it's like, ugh. Right? I mean, that's what made the wild card games so brutal back when it was just one game. Yeah, you work so hard to get there, and then it's gone like that. So This, at least, is a series. Yes. Just get us there, right? If, if you're not going to win the first two, get us to Sunday. Give Logan Gilbert or George Kirby a chance. We're going to be hanging on. Can you imagine a winner-take-all game three? It's going to be very odd to take in from Mexico. Oh, yeah. Opposite an NFL Sunday where I'm just like, I will literally, it'll be deep, deep back burner paying attention to an NFL Sunday versus baseball of all things. Oh, oh man, I'm so ready. I mean, if you would have told us, I don't know what the number of years ago is that we would be 21. saying this. No, no. Like during this, when we were tuned out on the Mariners, the, the number is whenever we recorded the lookout landing, why, why I'm still a Mariners fan podcast. And it was ours was why we're not still Mariners fans. About that. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, can we reminisce about Brian Turing instead? <laughs> Which we did. It was a great pod. Did we actually talk about Brian Turing? I don't think Brian Turing came His name up. didn't come up. No. I'm sure you mentioned Alex Diaz. You always do. Oh, I mean, Doug Strange. I, th- this is the other cool thing is that during this run, like we have these moments of these games where people can be like, I was there. There hasn't been a fucking game in 21 years that somebody could be like, I was there. I mean, I think there have been some individual games. Felix the, Hernandez the perfect, throw a perfect game. There's, there, there's the perfect game, and there's the game that Ichiro broke the boring hits record. <laughs> like, that is really it. Griffey's return with the Reds? Oh. Was that even that notable? The, was but, it that? I literally remember where I was watching. I mean, it, do you? Partially because it was at someone's house. At I wasn't no at home. At no point would I have a conversation with somebody and they were like, you know, I was there when Griffey returned or like A-Rod coming back with the Rangers. I'd be like, okay. I mean, the A-Rod coming back with the Rangers was I remember different. There was, that was a just spite. But... Dialogue about whether he would be booed. It weirdly mirrored a player who left Seattle recently. It was way worse than that player who left <laughs> Seattle recently. Let's be clear. No one was like throwing That player who left bills. Seattle is also way worse. Um, oh, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> the, the Hall of Fame caliber career that happened for Alex Rodriguez after that. Anyway, fifty percent Seattle Sports Star of the Year, two thousand twenty-one. <gasps> anyway, don't, like, don't think the Timberwolves are moving here. There have not been that many "I was there" moments, and so like nineteen ninety-five, like that Doug Strange game that you talked about, right? You were there, like, I wasn't. I was there. Like going But I to also that game. like I can vividly remember watching that game on the couch. And like I still in my head, even though it was twenty seven years ago, I can picture like being in that moment in the kingdom, the best baseball stadium in the face of the earth. Um, <laughs> I was about to drink. You can't say that while I'm about to drink. And seeing that ball go over the third baseman's head. Because you just have that tension with baseball. Like, that's really what baseball is so much about. Is the, like, the I like ten- how you focus on this and not that we were there for the fucking double. Well, we were there for that too, right? But, like, even beyond that, I'm saying the small moments, right? Yeah, like, yeah, that's okay, what this season okay. had is, obviously, yes, the most important moment in Mariners history. Like, that was awesome to be there for that game. We'll be there. ALDS game two, upsetting the Astros. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> Also, ALCS game two, I have tickets for, for when the Mariners are going to go to the World Series, right? To but complete, you only have two tickets for that, right? Complete, Yeah, me and Baby Fantasy Genius complete the sweep over the Yankees. Aaron Judge crying in the dugout, comforted by... But you you know the ALCS. It could potentially be game two of that series. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> You're not counting on the Mariners' race, ALCS? No. <laughs> anyway, the small moments though, like in the future, people will still be talking about the game where Cal Rally hit the homer to send the team to oh, the playoffs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that is a moment. Well, and that they, that's a capital M moment. The, but it's the Luis Torrens walk off hit against the Yankees. It's the Luis Torrens wins a game as a every pitcher. Luis Torrens game. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Uh, that's the cool thing about baseball is you have all these like small moments throughout the season that lead you to this point correct. of playing in three fucking games to try to keep your season going. Yes, it goes from the longest marathon to the shortest sprint when you go from the playoffs to the, the regular Which is, season. And, and that's like for the NBA, those are my favorite games too. Like the NFL, you have those and you have those moments, but it's such a short schedule that like every game, there's so much magnitude on every game. Correct. And you, you don't, baseball, like, random games can be, we were talking about a game earlier, Mike brought it up on that podcast, where he was like, yeah, somebody did something and they won. It's like, you kind of forget, you know, you don't really forget what happened in these, like, random Seahawks games that much, because everything is such huge magnitude, but these minor moments that happen throughout the year to get there, it's just, it is, I think we should be taking it all in that we are even here. For sure. So, I, I don't know, I'm so ready for this weekend. In a wild way, I've got the Enum Claw in store on Friday night and just so desperate that it does not overlap with the Mariners. And even then, I was telling this fantasy genius, I was like, Saturday is blocked off. <laughs> like, whatever is the happening. The schedule is all Mariners. The, the time. I don't, know, like, I don't know when they're going to announce the times for these games. Are the, are the NL matchups set? <clears throat> they're waiting they, until all the matchups are set. I think there can still be some movement in the wild cards in the NL, right? But. Like the the idea that there's just like the day is blocked off for baseball, and then fingers crossed one way or another that Sunday is blocked off for baseball as well. Yeah. I still I'm like George Kirby sending the team to the ALDS. It would be a beautiful thing. <laughs> I agree. Anyway, I'm just but winning two would be a beautiful thing as well. This this is a it's a freaking moment. Well, it was a negative moment on Sunday for the Sanders, who, as we mentioned earlier, were eliminated. Did you just skip the Kraken? Oh, I did skip the Kraken accidentally. <laughs> it was a negative moment for the Kraken on Sunday when they unveiled mascot. <laughs> oh, no. Let me tell you, the response has not been great for Bowie, who got unveiled on Saturday, is the nephew of the famous Fremont troll. 
Uh, but Zach Lowe was pro, and I brought it up to him on Zach the Lowe Lowe's post. Zach Lowe was pro buoy? Pro buoy. So that's the most important What a vote stupid though. sport. God. They just have to roll out joke mascots. I don't know that that's unique to hockey at any one. Uh, that came during... Hockey has the most joke mascots. I'm well, sorry. Gritty, obviously, yes. Gritty changed the thing. But uh, like other sports aren't necessarily introducing mascots right now, are they? Yeah, because mascots are dumb. Oh. Zach Lowe loves mascots. Yes, but may I introduce you to Squatch? May I introduce him? You're bringing up that motherfucker Squatch. <laughs> oh, I forgot about your feud with My Squatch. My feud with Squatch. <laughs> I have an actual personal <laughs> feud with Squatch. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't bring the team back. It will not be the same Squatch if the team, if and when the team comes back. It will be a different, different person inside the Squatch. Squatch insulted me to my future wife. He made fun of my ability to shoot from half court. Like, uh, Bowie's never done that. That's true. Undoubtedly true. Nephew of the Fremont Troll, though, it's just kind of like... Well, you know, all of these things in sports now, they have to tell a story. <laughs> Which I miss when they just did, did shit because it was cool or fun. You know? Tell a and story. The like, jerseys didn't give me tell the moose, a story. Right? Give me a Sasquatch. Not that mean Sasquatch who made fun of me. But <laughs> <laughs> the nice Sasquatch before then. <laughs> there was no Sasquatch. There was only one Squatch the whole time. It was the same dude who was... There's a person in there yeah there's a person in there I hate <laughs> to break the not a real sasquatch it's not not an actual sasquatch you know what's funny miss fantasy genius jokes about being sexually attracted to sasquatches not <laughs> not squatch the sonics one and i feel like it may all come back to wow squatch emasculating me <laughs> wow should you lay down should i be charging for this <sighs> anyway, how, did, how did that make you feel remember when the remember when the moose got hurt Yes, the moose it, had to have a cast on. That was was that in it was in the nineties, right? In the kingdom for yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean maybe the moose has been anyway. Multiple it's times. just like like it, it feels so desperate, right? Bowie is the like fucking it is it is the mascot definition of professional sports franchises getting on TikTok or whatever. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> can you meme us, please? Right? It's like. The, it's it's desperate for relevance, in my opinion. I think it's hard to create a new mascot in the year 2022 with everything that's going on. Uh, just like the attention on it. Uh, Kraken introduced that mascot during Saturday's preseason game where they were hosting the Vancouver Canucks. They went on to win another shutout, 4 nothing, giving them three shutouts in five exhibitions, as many as the entire 82-game 2021-22 regular wow. season. and they count these games, right? It, Preseason, we found in other sports to be more predictive than people think. I assume that's probably the case in hockey, too, where they actually, like, the the lines are more similar, I would say, in hockey in the preseason than they are, like, the lineups that you see in an NBA preseason game, or certainly the NFL. It's all right. I'll go back to pretending I like hockey in, like, November. Uh, okay, when the alternative is you'd have men's basketball. <laughs> With- <laughs> With Philip Grubauer going the distance that time for the shutout, on Monday the Kraken suffered their far- first preseason loss in Calgary following falling at 4-1 despite Matty Benier's third preseason goal in five games. Kraken will wrap up the preseason Friday at Edmonton. Then by the time we next bought, they will have begun the regular season next Wednesday at Anaheim. Uh, the Athletics projections, which it should when be noted. When will the ALDS start? Uh, I believe Tuesday. Okay. I was like, if hockey, if regular season hockey intersects with postseason baseball, it's like they might as well not even put it on TV. 
I'm sure they've got their, you know, some un- non-overlapping fan base. The Athletics projections, which should be noted, had the Kraken likely to be a playoff team last season, have them 23rd this year with a 27% chance of making the playoffs. The article kind of talked up that that seemed unlikely, but the Kraken have improved significantly over the offseason, should be much better than their first year. I mean, a full year of Matty Beneers is a very exciting prospect. In this is The Athletic, not 538, right? I can't joke yes. about the Hillary presidency. Okay. You, you cannot know. <laughs> Uh, you know, that's a, there's a there's an element of of the pass from the one in that conversation as well. Uh, okay, so the Wait, sound what? is <laughs> just like things that people put too much attention on. Mm-hmm. The Sounders lost one nothing Sunday at Sporting Kansas City, which eliminated from the, them from the playoffs. They put just one shot on goal as compared to eleven by Kansas City. Stephen Fry coming up with ten saves to keep them competitive. We're a bit hard done by this season. They still have a positive goal differential at plus one, almost certainly better than at least one playoff team as Minnesota currently sits seventh at minus five. All right. Let's get to a hockey or to a soccer team that matters. But just couldn't prevent goals well enough to scratch out wins on the road, losing half of their thirty four matches already this season. CONCACAF Champions League. Great. Okay. We'll talk about that next. Tell us about the soccer team that matters in the city of Seattle. So the rain. On Saturday, got some help from Sue Bird's team with her in the building in Seattle. Wow. When the Portland Thorns drew 3-3 at lowly Gotham FC, which got a goal from former rain star Naho Kawasumi, who was part of the two previous rain shield winners, played a role in it this time around. So that opened the door for the rain to claim the NWSL shield with a win Saturday night at home against Orlando. They wasted no time taking advantage, getting the opening goal from Megan Rapino in the eighth minute, followed by two more in the first half from Jordan Heidema and Bethany Balser to cruise to a 3-0 victory. As the top seed in the playoffs, the Reign will host a semifinal, but not until Sunday, October 23rd (laughs) at 4.30 p.m. They're like, strike while the iron's hot. (laughs) Give them a 19-day break. Actually, I think there's there's some merit to giving them a long time to sell tickets. I do think there's merit to that. (laughs) Okay, I, I will accept that. But wait, wait for the Mariners to be out of the playoffs. <laughs> that also true. <laughs> NWSL play off this weekend for, I mean, if they had played this game, if they had hosted a quarterfinal on October 16th, on, I mean, they couldn't have because the Seahawks are playing yes. at home. But the same weekend that the Mariners are play, would potentially play at home in the ALDS. Uh, so the NWSL is off this weekend for an international break. Then the quarterfinals will take place the following weekend with Houston hosting the Kansas City Current on the Reigns side of the bracket. After the largest standalone crowd in franchise history for Saturday's game, over 10,000, the rain will be opening both sides of the lower bowl for this match, hoping for a new record. Oh, I'm gone. I think I might be gone. October 23rd. I was going to say, should we go? I think I'm traveling back from Baltimore. Okay. Well, maybe I'll... Who do the Seahawks play that Sunday? Are they... They're on the road, obviously. Since this game is at Lumen Field, I believe that's the day of the Chargers game. So... As much as we want to celebrate the rain, it's also necessary this week to highlight the release of a report by former Attorney General Sally Yates into abusive behavior and sexual misconduct in women's professional soccer, which in unsparing clarity found systemic failures by the league, NWSL teams, and the U.S. Soccer Federation to protect players and prevent abusers from continued employment. Uh, Is with the Athletics... 
terrific reporting that spurred this investigation originally, this report also highlighted how the tenuous nature of women's pro soccer's existence made it more difficult for players to speak up and fostered a culture of limited league oversight of teams. And as much as without question, the individuals in, in positions of power bear responsibility for what happened on their watch, I mean, so too, to some degree, do all of us who kind of have allowed the NWSL to founder like this in women's pro soccer in this country. And, you know, one of the things we continue to see is the more that we support and the more on financially strong ground this league is, the better it's going to be for the players and the safer they're going to be from these predatory coaches who have operated for too long. It was also like this report was about the NWSL, but one of the really horrifying things to read in it was that player, a line about, you know, players had a difficult time recognizing that this behavior crossed the line because they were so used to it from youth soccer growing up. This is a problem that extends to all levels of certainly women's soccer. I think it's safe to assume women's sports more generally, and it's up to all of us to prevent it from happening going forward and take better care of these players. All right, with that, time to talk about UW football uh, coming off a 40-32 loss Friday at UCLA, the first of the Kalen DeBoer era, a game that was overshadowed for most people by the Mariners play ending their playoff drought, but not for you. <laughs> We're going through it emotionally on Friday night. <laughs> I was the only person. So I ca- we, we were excited about Caroline's homer at halftime, and then it was just like back to the pain. <laughs> Uh, Husky defense. Not great. I just... It was the... I was... I was at... <laughs> you can't even bring yourself to do it? I don't want to say that I was wrong, because I don't think that's the case. Uh, I think you were wrong. I'm... The team in general, the defense was worse than I thought they were. I will say that I was wrong about that. I They hadn't been tested as much as I thought that they had been tested. Right. So the one thing that we can definitively prove is that Stanford fucking sucks. (laughs) So I love to prove that, but it hurts in the meantime. Stanford got ruled by Oregon on Saturday, right? Who cares? (laughs) That's my review of Stanford. Um, But, but, Michael Penix did nothing wrong. And I, I don't think Michael Penix Jr. was the reason they lost this game, without question. The reason they lost this game was the defense. He wasn't perfect like he had been through much of the first four weeks of the season, which was an unrealistic standard to expect. To I was reading through the DVOA from, pro, or from Football Outsiders, and they talked about how basically, quote-unquote, garbage time is actually very predictive well, for future success. For and sure. the way that, this, that the Huskies finished this game... I actually thought was very impressive on offense, on offense. I believe he was 23 of 32 in the second half for like 320 yards or something like that. It was a ridiculous total. Kalen DeBoer still coached on offense a very good game. Michael Penix had ultimately a very good game. I do think there were moments if, if you would have, if we would have done an emergency podcast on Friday night, which we obviously wouldn't have about a 40 to 32 loss against UCLA, but you get the Huskies that ball back with a minute and a half left. Oh, They're scoring a touchdown. UCLA I was terrified of that possibility. The, the reality was the Huskies were not stopping DTR on those runs. Like, it, it was too easy. It reminded are me you, of... Are you buying in a little more to DT, Dorian Thompson Robinson's no, QBR? DTR is a phenomenal college quarterback, right? And I think the Husky defense is an 
awful defense for the most part. Certainly and with the current injuries they have. I think they're kind of awful at every level as well. It wasn't like, okay, but this this position group is doing things well. I do think there were some moments. There were a couple of small moments where calls went against the Huskies that radically changed the outcome of the game. And before the first Penix interception, which again, if you take away maybe one or one of those interceptions, it's a pretty different game. Before the first Penix pick, there's a play where I can't remember who it was. Who the, maybe it was Cam Williams got a first down running it, and they called a hold, and they show Cam Davis. Cam Davis, sorry, and they show not the safety. No. Um, they show they show the clip, and it's just like literally, I do not know what we're looking at here, and they call that hold. It's like a third and twelve after that. Penix forces a throw, and it's a pick. Like you can't, Penix shouldn't have forced the throw, but the situation was bad already, and you just the the. Penalties that went against the Huskies were in very high leverage situations. They had a fucking penalty that amounted to 25 yards plus the value of the play on the field. It's something I've basically never seen before in my entire life. Well, it was one of the, I mean, you don't want to, you know, pile on a young player, but committing a dead ball personal foul when a guy is like two yards out of play. But why is that a dead ball foul? Because he guy had already stepped out of bounds for two steps. That's why it's, no, a, that's it, what makes the dead ball dead. It's when the ball goes penalty. out of bounds. But also the adding the defensive holding on, like it's just a stupid rule. It appeared Christian Campbell's analysis was that they should not have added the defensive holding, that they should have been forced to choose between those two, but then they would have gotten the personal foul on top of it. They should have been forced to choose between the play or the defensive holding. Correct. I thought that you add defensive holding on top of the play as it is. That was his analysis. But like that situation happening, the holds that they called and then not getting, I don't think there was a single hold on UCLA the entire game. I think they had one, but it might've been low leverage. Like with the jerseys being held and pulled in that game. Like, But UCLA's seven penalties went for a total of 39 yards. So obviously not a lot of high leverage ones. UW's went for a total of 98 on nine. I I left that game saying to myself, UW is still a better team than UCLA. Their defense is not very good. They're going to have to score in games against good opponents. They're going to have to score pretty much every single possession. And they came pretty fucking close to doing it. So I left that game. I was very, very frustrated. But long term, I said to myself, this is still a very, very good UW team, considering they were four and eight last year. Yeah. And Michael. This is the perspective I was trying to give you on Friday night. Michael Penix is still the best quarterback in University of Washington history. I'm I'm not changing my perspective about it. Still not going that far. Your priors were. How about this? How about this? Michael Penix in this scheme is the best quarterback in the University of Washington history. Again, my my larger issue is when you've played five games and one of those have been on the road, then I would hold judgment. The sample size the is not The way they played in the second half, it was an encouraging second half. Without question. I mean, I, I one thing I thought was interesting is when your offense is so based on motion, the quick strike capability isn't necessarily there. It, it took them a little bit too it was, long. It was a lengthy drive. That I thought was interesting, but the, some of the two-point plays they brought out were pretty pretty awesome, I, I have to say. So, I mean, the other element, you know, you talked last week, you scoffed, I think, when I talked about, uh, I'm concerned about the Huskies going on the road for the first time because the UCLA crowd is not very good, and even though they had, I, I think, probably their largest attendance this season. I couldn't 40, factor in Jake Bobo. Like, 
Well, my you know, my point was even if even if you're not playing against a school that has a very good home field advantage, you don't have the benefit of us yelling from the east end zone and whatever <laughs> other us. fans are there. We take credit for trade grades. <laughs> Husky wins. <laughs> well, we're making a lot more noise than the alumni. I have to say, most it of the was kind of loud for the Huskies there. There were some Husky fans in the house. Hmm. So. Still a challenge going on the road from that standpoint. Is Jake, I think you understand Jake that. Bobo. Is he? That's his name, right? Yes. Is he an NFL draft prospect? I don't know. I mean, if the Rams a... get him, I know <laughs> that they love him. If the Rams draft Jake Bobo, I'm just done. I'm done with the NFL. Well, we have the audio right now. I love it. There's nothing that the Rams love more than a white wide receiver. and He is a fifth-year senior, so maybe the Seahawks <sighs> will draft him if he has a strong senior ball. They love love old prospects. He's going to fall to like the third round of the Rams, and he's going to be the best receiver well, in the NFL. I, I think third round is high. He spent four years at Duke before transferring to UCLA was... this year. His best season was 2021. He had 74 catches for 794 yards and one touchdown. He had more than that in this one game. That's correct. So. He had more than 74 catches. Yep. <laughs> Literally, there was not a defender near his him. Stats, his stats don't match up with what I saw. Wait, really? Huh? Oh, in the game. Yeah. What were they? I mean, he had like 145 yards and like seven catches. I don't know. Well, it was either an easy DTR run or Jake Bobo <laughs> wide open. <laughs> yes. Six catches for 142 and two touchdowns in this one. So he had more touchdowns. Six in that for one. 142 is pretty solid, in my opinion. But it felt like more. He had more touchdowns in that game against UW than he had in any season at Duke. He had three total in his career at Duke, two in that game. Four, four total in his career coming into this one. Uh, the Huskies tackling, not great. Not great. So they might get Asa Turner back this weekend. Uh, that would be very helpful without question, even though I don't know that safety play per se has necessarily been the issue. I feel like it's more the cornerback position where they're you know, feeling the lack of depth and the injuries that they've had at that spot. Um, but fortunately, uh, so this was the most yards per play the Huskies have allowed since a September 2014 win over Eastern Washington in Chris Peterson's second game as head coach. Over Cooper Cup's Eastern Washington, <laughs> right? Probably, yeah. Oh, God. They did come twice, close twice more recently, the 2017 Fiesta Bowl against Penn State, last year's home loss to UCLA. So DTR has been a real I do not remember that game. But basically the entire Chris Peterson slash Jimmy Lake era took place, and their defense was not shredded as badly as it was in this one. I mean, it's a pretty good defense most of those years. (laughs) Yeah, it was. That's the point. That was the the note. I was thinking about that. I was like, if you could pair Chris Peterson's not necessarily his defense, but just his overall program running with Keelan DeBoer's offense. It's just like, it's impossibly done because Keelan DeBoer I mean, is destined to be a head coach. I mean, not that Keelan DeBoer's offense is necessarily owes that much to him, but we they did have the coach that Keelan DeBoer worked under at Fresno State. You're talking Jeff Tedford. Tedford. But Jeff Tedford One season. was an, he's an offensive coach. He's like Keelan DeBoer. Yeah, that's my point. Is they had it one season and they went to the CFP. Oh yeah, they had Ted, Tedford and Chris Peterson. <laughs> no, obviously they had very good talent on that team too. But if you could have just dropped, if you could have replaced Bush Hamden with Kalen DeBoer, like UW was going to have some undefeated seasons in there. That's probably the case, yes. But also, I want Kalen DeBoer making decisions on fourth downs too. Oh my god, in that Chris Peterson scheme. <laughs> I I don't think that anything Kalen DeBoer is doing is specifically negative to defense. I think they just have an injured defense. 
And they picked up a lot of transfers on offense, but not necessarily on defense. Yeah, I mean, look, am I as confident in their defense going forward as I was with Chris Peterson and Jimmy Lake involved? No. But also, those dudes had how many first-round picks? Yeah. They had an extraordinary amount of talent, too. Like, make no mistake, Jimmy Lake also left them without talent on the roster defensively. That was, for the record, Cooper Cup's Eastern Washington. Cooper Cup scored three touchdowns in that game. But also it's Vern, Vernon Adams Jr.'s Eastern that's, Washington. That's future Ram Jake Bobo. Ugh. It really just does make too much so sense. upset about it. <laughs> well, let's talk about a much easier test for the Huskies this week. Remind weekend. me at the draft this year. <laughs> when the Rams draft Jake Bobo, how upset I, I am. Uh, the, the test for the Huskies this weekend is probably not so much Arizona State as it is the heat in the desert and their struggle, tra- poor track record playing in uh, Tempe. Uh, and this 1 p.m. start, as we mentioned last week, not doing them any favors. But Arizona State started 1-2, and, and the team then made a coaching change with running backs coach Sean Aguano replacing Herm Edwards on an interim basis. Edwards was in his fifth season in Tempe, highlighted by last season's 8-5 and five finish. But the school received notice of investigation from the NCAA in June 2021 over allegations of recruiting dead period violations that eventually produced the resignation of former defensive coordinator Antonio Pierce. Wow, did not others. know he was the defensive coordinator at Arizona State. Yeah, now he's the Raiders linebacker coach. Uh, they suffered a 30-21... I can't believe he's not on the Lions staff. <laughs> yeah, suffered a 31-21 home loss to Eastern Michigan in Herm's last game. That was the last straw. Their only win this season came against FCS opponent Northern Arizona. It was a brutal schedule to start for Iguano, who took over, immediately faced home versus Utah, and then at USC. Uh, lost 34-13 to the Utes. Were competitive Saturday night in LA. Lost that one 42-25. Uh, Arizona State ranks number 75 in FPI, number 96 in FPI efficiency. Uh, not ahead, uh, Not better than 60th on any of the three units this season. Florida transfer Emory Jones has struggled, ranking 10th in the Pac-12 in QBR. He's averaging a decent 7.5 yards per attempt, but we haven't seen the rushing success he enjoyed as a Gator. He gained 759 yards on the ground last season. So far this year, 7. So is that a line issue or is that a scheme issue? I, I haven't watched a lot of Arizona State. <laughs> it's tough to say. I, I do think my my general perspective about college football is the difference between these teams is almost always offensive lines, right? Like if NFL teams can't put together competent offensive lines or whatever, imagine if you were Arizona fucking state. Right. I mean, my philosophy for the Pac-12 has always been pick the team with the most experienced combination of offensive line and quarterback, which UW scores pretty well on this season, I gotta say. Xavier Valade has gotten the bulk of the carries. He's averaging 6.2 yards per attempt. So the offensive line is blocking well for him uh, with five touchdowns. Elijah Badger, their leading receiver, with 319 yards. Their defense allowed Eastern Michigan to run for 305 yards in that loss. Has stiffened against the rush the last two weeks, allowing just 4.6 yards per attempt. USC had more success through the air with Caleb Williams going 27 of 37 for 348 yards and three touchdowns. And Arizona State has committed penalties for a Pac-12 high 74 yards per game. I I mean, uh, my general perspective on coaches is where a coach comes from and what they care about, they're going to see everything through that prism. Uh, it, it takes a pretty exceptional coach to not. And if you have a former running back coach 
who's your head coach, they're going to see everything as an opportunity for a running back. So it doesn't surprise me that they're doing well running the ball. However, I mean, averaging I don't, know. I don't know how much he's putting his stamp on the offense in the last two weeks here. There, there's a reason that he was promoted head coach, though. I think the main reason he, he was a high school coach in Arizona before he joined the coaching staff. So I don't know if other people so on the I. staff had head coaching experience. But averaging 6.2 yards per attempt with five touchdowns has meant that their only victory is against Northern Arizona. And that's kind of how things shake out in college football. UW on the other side still has Michael Penix. It was a tough game last week. UW is a better offense, defense, maybe not special teams, but it really is going to come down to, are they affected by the weather in the desert? I still think there's enough players on offense for them to rotate through. There are a lot of receivers. There are a lot of running backs. They'll be able to rotate. They'll be able to deal with the heat a little bit. And this UW offense should be able to score enough points. You would think so. I mean, there's just inherent risk when you're playing a team that is reasonably tall. I mean, you know, they had a lot of transfers last year, understandably, with the investigation hanging over them. I mean, everyone has a lot of transfers. But this is still a, it's a competent team. It's on the road. It's in a difficult weather situation. But UW should still take care of business in this one. They're just a better team. Like, that's kind of what it boils down to. I mean, we talked last week. Like, UCLA is not a joke, you know? UCLA can push USC in the... I mean, yeah. You know, I think the... Did they get votes this week? They're not ranked, are they? UCLA? Yeah. I'm sure they're ranked. If they're not ranked and UW is, that is malpractice. I mean, not actually. No, like, that's how... That's how it should work. But yeah, I mean, like, they're 5 0. Those wins have not been over very good teams other than UW, but like, it's a little different than the older winners over in Northern Arizona. Uh, UCLA is number 18 in the AP, number 19 in the coaches' pool. Yeah, that feels about right. UCLA is a good team. Their offense is good. Their offense is maybe excellent. Yes. So that's kind of it. The thing that it, Jim Harbaugh was the coach of. The Niners, when Kaepernick had that play to end the game against the Seahawks, right? The the run, the end around run to end the game. Yes. Just like, fuck. Wait, what does that have to? That's what it reminded me of. I was wondering that was pre Chip Kelly, but like being able to do stuff like that. Chip Kelly's really good at it. Chip oh yeah, Kelly, he has a running quarterback with an experienced DTR. It's a scary proposition. Like, I I think if this game was in Seattle. UW might have been able to handle UCLA. I think so. But it was a more difficult road test than I considered going in. All right, fun fact. Do you know what year the last Husky win in Tempe came? Oh, God. 2012? What? Oh, no. No, you got to go way back. Are you kidding me? 2005? Farther? The 90s? Closer. 2001? 2001, the same year the Mariners lost, last made the playoffs. Could this be the year of breaking all these since 2001? They haven't streaks? won in Tempe since 2001. They have lost their last seven trips. Andrew Walter? Two Arizona State. <laughs> I mean, he's definitely more recent than that. There's no way he I was just did the Weebay meme. Like, <laughs> he really did. 2001? <laughs> Cody Pickett was the starting quarterback. Willie Hurst ran for 185 yards the last time the Huskies won there. 
don't really remember a lot. Don't really recognize a lot of names from this. Uh, oh, they had the other, other, other Mike Williams, and then Mike Carney. Oh yeah, Mike Carney from who like the, Kent, right? Who was their quarterback? Someone named Jeff Crone. I kind of remember Jeff Crone. I don't know if I remember Jeff Crone. So it wow. has been a minute. I mean, if Kalen DeBoer can pull it off, he will do a thing that Steve Sarkeesian, Chris Peterson could never do. Tyrone Willingham, right? Nope. Jim Lambright, or not Jim Lambright, Rick Neuheisel was the coach of that team, right? Rick Neuheisel was the coach the last time they won there. Uh, coaches who have lost there included Neuheisel did it. Uh, 2005 would have been Tyrone Willingham, Sark, and, and Chris Peterson. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, honestly, like it would be a huge victory. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> I really blew your mind with that one. 2001. I, like, remember victories. I mean, maybe at home, although I don't feel like you've has been that good at, against Arizona State at home either. This is, is the funny thing, as much as we talk about the desert. Percentage chances of winning in I mean, the I'm, desert. I'm downgrading them now. I'm going, like, 70%. I, I was exactly at 70%, too. There you go. They had lost. So they didn't beat Arizona State between 2001 and 2016. It was the first time that, yes, at all. That is weirdly terrible. Just go to the Big 12. (laughs) We're good. Big 12, you can have Arizona State. Well, it's time to talk about the Seahawks and their record setting. Historic. Score. We didn't toast to a Scorigami. That's go. how you know the Seahawks were back last weekend. Pete Carroll got a Scorigami for the first time in a long time uh, with their 48-45 win over the Detroit Lions. Uh, I didn't pull the audio. Apparently, you said that uh, this, you didn't think the Seahawks could win a shootout in Detroit. I mean, I, I didn't think that. I didn't know that DeAndre Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown were not going to be playing in that one. But way. that doesn't increase the odds that they were going to play a shootout. I said they couldn't win a shootout. Right. So, I mean, really, it came down to same thing. Right? If you're the Lions, you're like, give me one more, one more quarter. Oh, for sure. Similar to what we were saying about UW UCLA. At the very least, let's just say it: if the defense is bad, it's always more fun to have good offense. <laughs> yes. Right. And in the city of Seattle, what we have football-wise. Is good offense. We got a lot of good offense right now. I, I'm back in. You're back in. That's all it took. The reality is, Geno Smith in this very moment, not even a quarter, used to be a quarter through the NFL season, not even a quarter. At this moment, is a better quarterback than Russell Wilson. Oh, at this moment, he's not. I mean, the, and there's Russ, not, Russ is not as bad as people think he is because just quarterback play has been so bad league wide in general. Why is quarterback play bad? I don't know. Cover two, I guess. Probably randomness, but cover two is the other answer. Uh, we're twenty three point five percent through the NFL season, for the record. When I look at DR or DVOA, and I see Geno Smith at number three and number two. I mean, you can look at any measure of quarterback play. Gino is going to be right up there. And you got you to gotta scroll for us. Oh, well, I mean, I'm sure. He is at number 16 DR and number 16 DVOA. Precisely average. And if we would have taken those two quarterbacks and said, one of them is going to be a top five quarterback in these two categories, one is going to be the most average quarterback literally in the NFL in both both 
ways to value a quarterback. Also, <laughs> one of them is going to be way worse than Cooper Rush. Uh, <laughs> well, Cooper Rush ahead of Geno in QBR. I just, I think we have to respect that we have to throw out any preseason perspective we whoa, had whoa, whoa, whoa. about Geno Smith. Any preseason perspective we had? Any? Yes. All right, this is time for me to quote the Aaron Schatz DVOA right, column bring it from on. this week. Bring it on. That you said before the pod you didn't have a chance to get to because you were writing ticks. Uh, the Seahawks. <laughs> I spent six hours on those ticks. <laughs> <laughs> I typed out Mississauga so many times. Sweating away. Oh, man. That is a tricky one to spell, Mississauga. There was a record called Mississauga Goddamn by the band called Hidden Cameras. I believe, I believe the, the Toronto folks have said that that's like, you know how when you're playing football and you count one Mississippi, two Mississippi. In, in Ontario, at least, they count one Mississauga, two Mississauga. Is this a like, joke? No, I think that's a literally that's true for real. Thing. Yeah. God, I hate Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Until we're talking about Vancouver, oh! I love Canada. Canada! Uh, so the Seahawks are third. In Go back home TV to the way. south where you belong, Canada. <laughs> Nobody wants you. I love this joke. Uh, so they are tied with the 2011 Bills is the biggest offensive DVOA rank overachievers through four games, according to that Aaron Schatz analysis. That team went 24th in offensive DVOA the rest of the season. And if you look at the top 10 other biggest overachievers, just three of them played at an above average level on offense the rest of the season. So four weeks, Who it turns out, is still not that much. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Oh, man. God, there's a lot of parallels between Gino and Fitzmagic. <laughs> uh, Shots pointed out it was a different Bills team. Apparently, there were two Bills teams in the top 10. There was a Tyrod Taylor team that was also up there that he thought was maybe a better comp for Gino. I'm telling you this right now. This Seahawks team is doing it differently than those teams did it. Like, this is actually a well-constructed offense. There's probably some luck about it, but there are open receivers, and the way that they're running the ball... Tyler Lockett, according to the new ESPN receiver metrics, the most open receiver in the NFL in Week 4. I'm kind of shocked that DVOA-wise that we're not seeing... Uh, wow, it's kind of weird that Penny is not higher. I feel like Penny has been a really good running back this year, but he's 22nd in DVOA. <clears throat> I think the Detroit game was the first game that we saw that late season, that R- Rashad Penny is the only running back that matters. Level play from Rashad Penny. <laughs> Apparently Cordero Patterson's the only running back that matters. Uh, the way that this offense is constructed is they're finding open receivers, they're running the ball fairly well. Gino's making easy throws. Like, Shane Waldron deserves a lot of credit. I agree. So far throughout this season. And having these players be open and building an offense and letting Gino do what Gino does. And I would also say there's been a lot of quarterbacks in NFL history who have been given easy throws and have not completed them at the rate that Gino Smith has thus far. I know you don't want to hear about completion percentage. The, but the reality is not that many quarterbacks... I mean, one per year, through four weeks, or third best in DVOA and DR. Like, it's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's also not an impossible thing to do if you're the 15th best quarterback in the league. In any case, you're probably not the 30th best quarterback this is, in the league. He's not. Yes. Which is, so I. He's not Justin Fields. He's I mean, not Carson Wentz. We've, in, well, I mean, Carson Wentz is a Being better than Carson Wentz is a big deal for Geno Smith. It's someone who was a career backup, basically. 
I mean, I our prior for Gino has increased substantially, but it shouldn't be to where he's performed thus far. Carson Wentz is maybe like the worst consistent NFL starter, and yet somehow the Colts were way better offensively with him than Matt Ryan. I I, I don't want to go I, down no, that route. They at ran all. the ball really well last year. They did. I've also, go Colts this week. I mean, what's so what's fascinating to me is number one, like the reports from training camp about how poorly Gino was playing. Were there reports about how poorly Gino was playing? There were reports about how poorly the Seahawks quarterbacks were playing, which included Geno Smith and Drew Locke, who you'll remember that there was a competition between Geno Smith it's and Drew really Locke. It's so recently confusing is... that they could play against the Seahawks defense and be playing poorly. It's, it's baffling. Five weeks ago, there was a competition between Geno Smith and Drew Locke and a question of who was going to start at quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. And you watch Geno play now, and you're like, how was this ever possibly a question? Okay, so we've seen this. Do you know who's fifth and eighth in DR and DVOA? Is that Cooper Rush? Jared Goff. Oh. My boy, Jared Goff. <laughs> Mind you, the second he got traded for the Rams, I started loving Jared Goff. We've you probably seen... liked him at Cal, too, I would assume. I remember playing against them and just thinking he was fucking terrible. <laughs> At Cal, I was like, this is the number one pick of the draft. He, he was no Vernon Adams Jr. The, right when they had the year where they had no tight ends. <laughs> Who was their coach? Uh, did he play there under Sonny Dykes? Yeah, Sonny Dykes, who had the like extreme air raid offense. Yes, he has the most air raid <laughs> offense. I was like, you've gone too far, Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, you circle back around when the air raid is so far, all of a sudden you're weirdly running the ball. Anyway, the when you look at the stats that Ben has been posting and the years that Jared Goff did exceptionally well and Matt Stafford did, I will begrudgingly say, okay, for the Rams, were years when they could pass block. Correct. Right? If you give a an average to above average quarterback like Goff or Matthew Stafford, time to throw the ball in that offense, they're going to be able to make plays. If they're pressured, they're not going to be able to. But if you give them time to throw the ball, they're going to be able to make those passes. And that's what Gino is doing right now. I mean, a question that I'm workshopping is... <laughs> I love workshopping questions. To what degree... <laughs> I don't is, like asking them, but just workshopping them. Is to, to what degree is Geno Smith more affected by the caliber of defense he faces than the average quarterback? So is DVOA not adjusted for defense So there's at all? a 40% adjustment at this point. That's but better than zero. Not, that's not what I'm saying, though, because the adjustment for DVOA is going to be the average of all the opponents you're, set, you're I'm facing. I'm kind of shocked that Herbert is number two in DR because he seems like he's been really fucking bad this year. No. And what I'm saying is, if you look at the times that Geno Smith has faced exceptionally bad defenses, he has torched those exceptionally bad defenses, dating back to the Jacksonville game last year. Yeah. When he has faced quality defenses, including, but not limited to, the 49ers game this year, things have gone not nearly so well, except maybe the first half of this year's Broncos game. Were his stats that bad against the Niners, though? Taylor, Taylor Heineke was number eighth in... The Dakota Composite through four weeks last year. That's that's a stat. But were Geno's stats that bad in that Niners game, or did they just not score? Oh, Teddy Bridgewater was number two. Uh, yes, Geno's stats were great. that bad. They were that bad. Look, I don't know. We can't say whether it's going to continue, but 
At this very moment on October 4th, 2022, as the Mariners are on the precipice of playing a playoff game, <laughs> Geno Smith is a top five quarterback in the NFL by but, any measure. But just because we can't by, see that it, whether it's going to continue doesn't mean that we can't use history as a guide to whether it's going to continue. Has two ever played this well? I mean, two is ahead of him in QBR right now. But has Tua ever played this well? He's ahead of him in QBR right now. Has Tua before this ever played this well? Like prior to this season? Yes. No. Do you think that Tua is going to regress? Yes. But also I think that Tua has a stronger... My prior for Tua is less strong because of the fact that he's a younger player and has was Geno Smith considered the number one prospect at one with point. With an offense that wasn't completely incompetent, both scheme and talent-wise. This is the best scheme and the best talent that Geno Smith has ever played with in his entire life. Well, I mean, I would point to the three weeks he did start at quarterback for your Seattle Seahawks in the Was year he that 2021. Bad? The but overall numbers were not good. The scheme is different this year. The t- you can't tell me. Yeah. Pete Carroll, for whatever reason. In 2018, Ryan Fitzpatrick, number three in the Dakota Composite through four weeks. Also, great. If he's Fitzmagic is not a bad quarterback. No, I mean, I, I'm not saying that Geno Smith is a bad quarterback. I'm just saying I don't think Geno Smith is you... as good a quarterback as he's shown thus far. I'm going to believe in Geno. Again, I'm until saying... Until I'm disproven. Look, you might have thought that Jesse Winker was the key part of that trade. But <laughs> I choose to believe in Geno. And you might have thought Russell Wilson was the key part of that trade. But I choose to believe in Geno. And until otherwise disproven, I don't see any reason that we shouldn't at the very least approach this team as... What are their chances of making the playoffs right now? Uh, about one in three. A 33% chance of making the playoffs. I mean, look, I'm the first thing to bet on, on them over six and a half wins. I just, I think we have to re... I went in the season thinking this team was one of the five worst teams in the league, and that's clearly not the case. Wow, Trevor Simeon was in the top four in 2016 through two, three weeks. Through four weeks, I should say. Was he? Yep. But there were a lot of players who weren't those players. Like, just because you can cherry-pick players who ended up being bad, who else was in there? There are good players, too. Sure, but again, the good players who are in there have a long track record of success. The tr- when Smith- Trevor Simeon comes into that group, you're a little bit inherently more skeptical. Let's just let Gino do his thing. I mean, what, what else are we going to do? We're sitting here talking out on a podcast. We're not the ones calling I'm, the plays. I'm just saying... I went in this year being like, let's bottom out. Let's get the best traffic we possibly can. And now I am telling you, I think there is a better than 50% chance that the traffic the Seahawks get from the Broncos is a lower and or higher, whatever, closer to is one. better? A better traffic than the Seahawks' original traffic. And again, the, I'm not willing to go that far. Need, I mean, we're two weeks away, two weeks removed from the Seahawks not scoring any points on offense in six quarters. And yes, Pete Carroll unfixed the offense after that. Pete Carroll has had a good season. Pete Carroll... The the Seattle Seahawks... wasted two challenges on Sunday so that his explanation was difficult to parse for why he challenged those plays. I've I've come full circle on Pete. (laughs) No, I I haven't. The defense is (laughs) god-awful. 
like uh, again, again, again. The, the more influence on the on something on the Seahawks Pete Carroll has, the worse that thing. He has, has been willing to give up control at 86 years old. It is it is an impressive thing at 103 years old. Pete Carroll has been willing to let Shane Waldron do his thing. He he took the the restraints off of whatever they were having around Gino and letting them do their thing after that game. From the moment that he said that they don't need to restrict Gino anymore, the offense has been good. Well, Granted, they've played very bad defenses. That's what I was going to say. I'd like to see it against a tough defense, and we are probably going to see it against a tougher defense this Sunday. Listen, Gino Smith, for lack of a better term, is good. How long have you had that one? Store it up. I thought about it earlier today. Oh, okay. You can't compete in the past. And the one thing that you would ask of the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks is to learn from previous mistakes. Yeah. And so far, this season, at least offensively, they have. The offense is, do, they're doing the right the things offense is great. offensively. We, yeah. I'm just saying... I've been hurt before. You can't, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm ready to love again. You can fault Pete Carroll for the Rashad Penny picks, the LJ Collier picks, or whatever. But you can't compete in the past. And the most recent draft that we have, Pete Carroll's shown some sort of understanding of learning how to assess positional value. I'm just saying I believe in big sample sizes. I don't believe in small sample sizes. How big of a sample size do you need for Pete Carroll? Because if we're getting a big enough sample size, we're getting into Super Bowls. Fair. I'm just saying... I, I, I've been burned too many times. Through four weeks. Also, the, the biggest indictment we have on Pete is the trade, right? Uh, I don't know that I would say that necessarily, no. Through four weeks, you could not view it any other way than to say that the Seahawks have won this trade. Yeah, oh, without there, question. There's no argument that could be made that the Seahawks didn't. So it, far, if you're just judging the first four weeks of the NFL season. Everything that has happened so far has been pushed towards the direction of the Seahawks made the right decision to trade Russell Wilson when they did, and for what they did. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Other than no offense, lack of usage. <laughs> Whatever. It, He's been a great decoy for Colby Parkinson. I Disney. don't want to see Russ struggle... But just seeing how bad the Broncos' offense is, it's like, just and knowing that we have their first and second round draft picks, it's like, <laughs> this is good stuff. I mean, they're still two and two. And they the lost theory, close. I, want, I guess they're probably about a wash, right? They probably should have been the Seahawks, and then they definitely should have lost to the Niners. Who, who do they play? Oh, they play the Texans. They barely beat the fucking Texans. It, it is true that they barely beat. Go wild, the Jonathan Taylor. Go wild. Denver currently 15th in DVOA. 15th in Dave as well. So, yeah. Now can we talk about the Saints? All right, let's talk about the Saints. Because the Seahawks are playing I, them. I just, I, I haven't been in on the Seahawks all year until this last weekend, and it's a really good feeling. Denver does still have a higher mean projection from the football outsiders playoff odds than the Seahawks do, but not by much. Matt Ryan's owned Russell Wilson his entire career. Not by much. Well, Matt Ryan hasn't owned much of anything this season. So the Saints are struggling on offense 
ranking 19th in DVOA in their first season after Sean Payton's departure. Their passing attack actually picked up on su- in Sunday's London loss to the Vikings with Andy Dalton replacing the injured Jameis Winston, who is dealing with broken bones in his back while coming back from ACL tear and also dealing with what was a hamstring in training camp, right? Uh, Saints also played that game in London without Elvin Kamara. Michael Thomas, and tackle Andrus Pete, but still managed the seventh-best EPA per play on Sunday, up from 31st the first three weeks. Winston has thrown five picks in 115 pass attempts, a rate similar to his record-setting 2019 season in Tampa Bay. He had just three in 161 attempts last season under Sean Payton. Kamara has not been particularly good either. In the two games he did play, as 19 receiving yards is compared to 128 in last year's game in Seattle. That's what I'm saying. It's like you want to fault Gino for that loss, but... I Gino did not play well, but the Seahawks actually did pretty well defensively. Kamara, they just could not stop. Uh, Mark Ingram leads the team in rushing thus far. Taysom Hill, second in rushing yards for the Saints. He's kind of the scariest player on offense. He's actually pretty good when they don't try to make him a quarterback, at least outside of the Wildcat quarterback role. Rookie wide receiver Chris Olave has been a bright spot, leading the team in targets. Receptions with 21 yards for 335. Uh, though Michael Thomas, when he has been healthy, has been a big red, red zone threat with three touchdowns in his mini games. The Saints defense has generally been pretty good, particularly against the run. They're allowing the fifth lowest EPA per play on rushes. They've been below average 20th defending passes. So, a clear sign. Let Gino cook this Sunday. Or, or mom. <laughs> It's over during the Seahawks game. Uh-huh. Asked me, so are the Seahawks passing less now that they don't have Russell Wilson? I was like, no, actually, they're passing more. <laughs> passing more and, the, and better. And the other thing is, so I was following that Denver Raiders game quite closely on Sunday because I had key fantasy players on both sides, including oh, Russell have Wilson. the Raiders quarterback, uh, star wide receiver, tight end, and kicker? And again, they did not score touchdowns. No, they did, score, like, they, they did score touchdowns. Those touchdowns were scored by the player on my team. Josh, Josh Jacobs. Jacobs and their defense. The they were like, greatest. Carlson comes out again for another field goal. <laughs> it was a great week to have Josh Jacobs on your fantasy team. Not a great week but to have Darren Waller. It was an okay Derek week Carr. to have Russell Wilson. But the big takeaway was the Broncos were running the ball way too fucking much. I don't like. I don't know what's happened in this partnership between Russell either. Wilson. No, it was good on Sunday. Was it? Because I don't. I don't know. Yes, that. their problem was they ran the ball too much. I watched the game. They might not do that anymore with Javante. At. I mean, Javante came out really relatively early in that game. I, I think they still continued to run a pretty fair amount. Melvin Gordon will carry the load. Wait, where did where did where's Quick Reads? Where did Russ rank in Quick Reads? Here we go. 2022's most pleasant surprise. Geno Smith. <laughs> I mean, it's indisputably accurate. Actually, 2022's most pleasant surprise is the Seattle Mariners, but, you know, number two, solid number so two. So this Gino game Smith. that you said Russell Wilson passed well in. Yeah. So Quick Reads is ranked by DR, correct? I mean, I think he had a turnover that probably was quite costly in that, but I'm saying from a process <clears> standpoint. <throat> number two is Geno Smith. I'm not comparing Russell him to Geno. 17 of 25 for 237. It's like, it's fine. It's a good game. Again, the NFL is not able to pass anymore for some reason. Only Geno Smith can pass well. Only and, and Danny Dimes can pass and be better than him. Like, come on. Like, it's a fine game. I watched the game, okay? I did my own PFF grades on that one. They actually they were pushing the ball downfield in a way that they haven't been in the first three weeks. So... 
but we don't need to make this podcast a referendum on Russell Wilson's performance. Like he's gone. We're talking about you the, the Seattle one who Seahawks, weren't you? Yeah. Okay. About my fantasy team. <laughs> uh, it's a fascinating one against the Saints. Like this is a very interesting barometer of where the Seahawks are at. And I kind I look at this line and I'm a little bit surprised after last week that it is a minus five and a half line. Like that that indicates a pretty heavy favorite in the Saints. And I just don't know if I've seen it yet from what the Saints have done this year and what they've looked like and how the Seahawks have played. Like to me, this looks a little bit more like an even type of game, maybe like a one or two point favorite. I mean, Saints. I think, you know, Saints having home field advantage, they should be favored. But yeah, five and a half does seem too much in this one. Be- people are judging their priors a little bit too much for I, this game. I think people generally underrate their priors, so I'm not sure I buy that. But I will say in this particular case, I, I think it's probably a closer matchup than that would indicate. And, and this is facing against a better defense. I yeah. think we'll get a good sense. Like if what you're talking about, you went through a hundred examples of full of hate, full of deep hate in your heart and you had to let it out for Geno Smith. I get it. I understand. Right. But like you had to go through and find your Trevor Simeons or whatever. I, I understand. I, I mean, I only got back to 2015, I think in Arby's. You want to go find like, like, I don't well, even... it's, <laughs> it's just slow, you know, going year by year. We can go all the way back to the la- the first years. <laughs> Try to think of a, a good player, <laughs> John Harbaugh. Now, <laughs> there's a Harbaugh brother or something <clears throat> who randomly had a good start to the season. But this Did Jim be... Harbaugh play in the play-by-play era? That's an interesting question, or at least their version of it. This will be a good barometer of where the Seahawks' offense really is. Mm, 1998, your 99-year top quarterback through four weeks in this was Brad Johnson. That's Super Bowl winner Brad Johnson to you, thank you. (laughs) Who? Neil Neil O'Donnell. Neil, that's Super Bowl contender Neil O'Donnell. (laughs) What are you talking about here? John Kitna was ninth. Oh, what, now we're talking shit about John Kitna? I think I am, yeah. So much of your argument depends on this Niners game. against. The, what do you have to say about Matthew Stafford after playing the Niners? I mean, I don't think Matthew Stafford has had a very good season. That's one thing I can agree on. <laughs> <laughs> but... The Niners are probably the best defense in the NFL. They are statistically the best defense in the NFL. They've shut down some very, very good quarterbacks like Geno Smith. And they've actually been through a lot of the old (laughs) NFC West. Uh, I think that New Orleans is not, they're a better defense than San Francisco, but, or not than San Francisco, they're a better defense than Detroit and Atlanta. They're significantly worse than San Francisco. We saw the Vikings move the ball against them, and I think we'll see Geno Smith move the ball against them. And I'm excited to see the Seahawks' offense. The Mariners will have already taken care of business in two, and we'll be able to focus 100% on this. But I'm excited to see the Seahawks' offense against a better defense and really understand what we have. This, to me, is the week where we get a sense of, like, is this team going to be a play? If they win this game, they're a playoff contender. Pretty yeah, undeniably. Yeah, that, yeah. They're a playoff contending team. If they lose this game, things could possibly go the other direction. They might go the way of Trevor Simeon or whatever. But 
I, for one, am going to take it week by week. And oh, now you're taking it week by week. And I, this is the first time I've been excited about the Seahawks all year. And I think there is a better than 50% chance of winning this game. 55% chance. I'm going to say a 42.5% chance in this one. I mean, again, I think the Saints deserve to be favored, but I, I think it's a reasonably close game. The Seahawks certainly have a great shot to pull the upset. And we'll see whether I would be happier if that happened or not. <laughs> you would hate that so much. I'm, I mean, look, I'm still in playing for draft picks mode, but one of the things I was thinking about with the Mariners is like, imagine if we were like still like not on the bandwagon, like how, how, how sad and joyless that would seem while everyone else is enjoying this thrilling Mariners season. And at some point, if like that's where we get with the Seahawks, like obviously I got to come this, along. This isn't, like statistically, they're not a bad team. They're not outperforming themselves statistically by that much. They're two and two, and they're thirteenth in total DVOA. Sure, they should be two. This and two. isn't fun differential. They beat it's, bad teams. It's not, but also when fun differential was happening, it was hundred and forty games into the season, not four. They. This they, is more like the. This would be more the equivalent of what was is two thousand nineteen after they traded everyone. The Mariners started really well, right? And people are like, "Wow, what if they actually make the playoffs this year?" I know they were rebuilding. I think they did have a good. First and then month. they went like. Pythagorean you know, wins wise, though the Seahawks have underperformed. I, I mean, their season so far. So get the fuck on board with a good football team. It's hard not to over or underperform. Like, you can't win two point three games out of four. You can only win two or three. So they're a better team than the Dolphins. Pete Carroll's a better coach than Mike McDaniels. <laughs> also, I love that you're scoffing at that Mike McDaniels. Is it Daniel Daniels? Mike McDaniel. <laughs> you used to criticize me about Mike McDaniel, who has won three games in his entire life. You're scoffing at the idea that Super Bowl winner Pete Carroll is a better coach than him. Wow, the Mariners started seven and one in 2019. They then proceeded to finish that season 68-94. Statistically, if the Seahawks finish as the 13th best team in the NFL, we would love to see it. They'll probably be a playoff team at that place. Yes, given their schedule, they would almost certainly be a playoff team. And given how bad the NFC is. Yeah. So, let's just see what happens Sunday against a fellow NFC contender who is in that same range and be excited about it going in. You... I don't know if I can get that far. God, you're still in cheering for them to lose mode? Yeah. I mean, I look back on it, I'm like, damn, I really wish they would have won that Falcons game. In hindsight, they could have easily won. They could, yeah. This team could be 3-1 and one and the best team in the NFC West. They could be leading the NFC West. Where do the Rams rank DVOA-wise? Oh, probably worse. San Francisco's got to be tops in the Scrolling. NFC and DVOA, right? In the I love NFC. seeing the Rams as the 26th best team in the NFL, where they belong. That's how good they were last year, too, weirdly. <laughs> Before they fluked their way into that Super Bowl. Before they played the, with the Cincinnati Bengals, where do they rank? They played the 16th best team in the NFL in the Super Bowl? Come on. Get the fuck out of here. They won in a fraudulent season. It's great. It's You know what? They can't take away their rings. That's okay. But we all know that they didn't win a real Super Bowl, and then their team was got off on the next year. It's cool. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.